Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. Merry Christmas. Uh, I want to thank Dan for allowing me to sing today. Thanks, Dan, for giving me that opportunity, that great old song. Uh, I love working with Dan and both with Jonathan. I just call them Danathan. That's just... Uh, what I call them. For those of you who don't know, Jonathan is our, one of our other worship pastors. But we're glad you're here. If you're guests, you're welcome here among us. Uh, Tara and I have found the sheets, and we are now living in Wimberley. Uh, this all reminds us of a time that Tara and I went to Cambodia to, to uh, do some investigation of upstream solutions to human trafficking. And while we were there, we had an adventure up the Mekong River. And the Mekong River was a, is a swirling black, nasty river. And that's exactly how our lives feel right now, trying to find our sheets and our boxes. and our. We feel like we're living in the middle of the, the Mekong River. And of course, yesterday at four o'clock, our new old house, the plumbing backs up. So it's always great to have to deal with somebody else's stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, y'all with me. So we're going to continue this Christmas series, Looking for Christmas. I, I want to thank Sean so much last week. He, didn't he do a great job of bringing God's Word to us last week? Very grateful. Sean's a wonderful addition to our team. And I think I've said this to you before. In years past, I kind of just goof off in December. I, I don't preach. So you guys have made me work this year. But I'm so excited about what God is revealing. So I hope you're ready for this. Are you ready for this? Turn to your neighbor and say, leave me alone. I want to listen to this this morning, okay? That's, that's good. That's good. My grandfather was a Southern gentleman. Now, my mother says that my family, the Causey family, was Southern aristocracy. Now, I'm not sure really what that meant. They were daughters of the Revolution. They were daughters of the Confederacy. Uh, what I think Southern aristocracy means is they had a little bit of land and they had no money. That's what I, I think it meant. But that's who they were. And my grandfather was uh, his descendants was from Ireland, so he was very much an Irish tenor. So I think maybe I got some of my singing ability from my grandfather. But my grandfather was, uh, he was a very interesting man. He was a dairy farmer. Anybody know about dairy farming here? Yeah, you, I can milk that for days, but I won't. I don't want to churn up anything in your imagination about dairy farming. I know it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's all right. I could talk about this till the cows came home, actually. But he was a, a dairy farmer, but he was also a fox hunter. And he, uh, he had, uh, now when you think fox hunting in the South, it's different from what you might think about it in England, where you have sharply dressed men and women on their nice red coats and white britches, riding on majestic horses with dogs teeming at their feet. None of that. It was dusty, dusty old backcountry roads, rusted out pickup trucks, and very expensive Tennessee Walker hounds. My grandfather had uh, a, an unbelievable pack of pedigree dogs. Uh, two of his dogs won the national field trials uh, for fox hunting. And they, one of them was named Calico. She was a beautiful kind of a yellow spotted Tennessee Walker. And, she, and then she had a, a, a brother whose name was Ross Barnett. And Ross Barnett was named after the governor of Mississippi. In the mid-60s, my grandfather sold both of those dogs for $5,000 a piece. That's a lot of dog. And somebody's got to want to buy a dog that bad to pay that much for a dog. But these were the Tennessee Walkers that my grandfather had, and, and they were his pets, and he loved them dearly. Every day, my grandmother would cook dog bread 
for these dogs. And it was a special concoction. It looked like cornbread, but it had protein in it, all this thing. So he didn't do Blue Buffalo or PetSmart. He was already ahead of the game feeding these dogs gourmet food because he loved to fox hunt. And in fact, I remember, this is crazy. My grandfather knew where Mr. Fox lived and he would go and feed the fox (laughs) just so his dogs could chase the fox. And if the dogs actually caught the fox, and kill the fox, it was a tragedy. It was a terrible thing because he wanted, to, he wanted to listen to those dogs run. And we would go out at night with my grandfather. I think more of an excuse to stay out, out all night with his buddies. And my grandfather could distinguish the voice of each dog. He knew those dogs so well. Now, with this kennel of curs close to the house, there was often a ruckus that would arise from, from, the, from the, the, the kennel down the way. The dogs would begin to bark and just create a a big noise and it interrupt everybody. My grandfather would not go out and yell at the dogs. He would step out on the porch and he would whisper to them. He would whisper. He'd say, Calico, hush up now. Settle down. It's all right. Ross Barnett, go back to sleep. Bet, Jess, hush up. And he would call each by their name and pretty soon that whole group would calm down and quit barking and go back to sleep. They, they knew the whisper of their master. They knew the one that loved them the most and cared for them the greatest. You know, and here at Christmas time, I think probably more so than any time, we long to hear the whisper from heaven. We long to hear the whisper of the master who loves us, who knows us, who calls us by name. You know, people throughout history have listened for the whisper. They listened for the prompting of God. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the whisper of redemption and the whisper of judgment was commingled. God threw them out of the garden, but then he said, there will be a redeemer. Did you know that when Eve gave birth to their first son, in the Hebrew it says, I have borne him, the redeemer. She was longing for the redeemer even then. But of course, that was Cain, and he was the first murderer. The whisper came again to a guy named Abraham. He said, go to a land that I'm going to show you. What an unbelievable journey of faith. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. In 1991, Tara and I were serving a church in Florida, and our pastor resigned. And I had five churches offer me a job at a week to be their music guy. Five for five churches. Four of them in Florida and one of them in Texas. And Tara heard the whisper. She said, go to a land you don't know of, Texas. And I said, baby, why Texas? She says, I don't know, but I feel like we're supposed to live in Texas. And little did I know that that whisper in 1991 would lead me to Wimberley to be with you guys today and backed up plumbing as of yesterday. (laughs) And Abraham went and a nation was born. Um, Noah heard the whisper and, and built a boat. Moses heard the whisper and set a nation free. Isaiah, Jeremiah, David heard the whisper. And then the whisper for 400 years went silent during the interbiblical period. And our Jewish friends are now celebrating Hanukkah, which is the celebration of lights. 
that in this period of time, uh, an evil ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes came and desecrated the temple. And he desecrated it with pig's blood. And um, Judas Maccabees rode up, rose up and defeated Antiochus Epiphanes and purified the temple. And the miracle of the menorah happened that time when they only had one day of oil and the menorah burned for nine days. And that's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah. Fast forward to Jesus standing at the temple with his hand against the menorah saying, I'm the light of the world. This was a foreshadowing. This is the light. I am the light of the world. I so wish we could see the body language of the Bible. Don't, don't you? When you go to Israel with me, we'll, we'll see these things. But not the original menorah. It's gone. But uh, the, the, the Hebrew people still have the menorah there. And they're still looking for the Messiah who's already come. Of course, the whisper of God became flesh. And he was born to a teenage mom and a very brave young man who dared not believe the rumors but leaned into the revelation. He was born in the city of Bethlehem, a little no-name village in the middle of Judea and in a cattle shed, a place not fit to lay anyone. And the whisper became flesh. And he lived among us. And he healed and he loved and he showed us how to love. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this morning, I want us to lean in and listen to what Pastor John had to say about this word in flesh. Perhaps, <laughs> this is rather intimidating to me, perhaps one of the most complex theological passages a pastor can wade into is the first chapter of John. But I'm going to roll up my britches and we're going to wade in together. And we're going to see how this whisper of God is the Christ you have been looking for. Are you ready? That's two head nods and one ground. Are you ready? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that in my limited ability... In my limited knowledge, with your unlimited ability and your unlimited knowledge, you will somehow fill us with your wisdom today. And I pray, Father, that the words I speak will not be mine, but yours, and the encouragement that comes from hearing your word will lead us to do what only you want us to do. And more importantly, Father, to become what you want us to become. Thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take out your notes or take the weekend with you notes and jot down some thoughts. For there may be some things that you want to hold on to and remember. And if you're joining us on Facebook or you're watching this after the fact of Vimeo, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. Here's the first thing I want you to hold on to. The whisper of the Word of God. The whisper of of the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. If you don't, we're going to project the passages up on the screen, and we're just going to look at these a bit at a time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very careful that you look at the etymology of this phrasing. The Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. Now, this is a bold statement by Pastor John that we'll flesh out in a second. 
He was, that is the word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Paul would later say in the the book of Colossians how Jesus is the author of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, uh, was not anything made that was made. That everything comes as a result of Jesus. Jesus is God and has always been God. Now, there's so many belief systems that want to categorize Jesus in a way that's a lesser God. To be, uh, in fact, one belief system says that Jesus was a God of another solar system that came here and became, because of his good works, became God of this solar system. And there's a theological word for that called baloney. It's just not true. And there's others that say, well, he wasn't really God. He was a representative of God. He was like uh, an advocate of God or a a reflection of God. In fact, one of the most ancient heresies says that he was really the spiritual God, but he really wasn't God in flesh because the flesh died and the spirit was different from the flesh. And that too is what we'd call in Texas bullcorn. It's just not true. It's just not true. Jesus is God. He is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit of Jesus. When we're talking about God, we're talking about God, Jesus. When we're talking about God the Father, we're talking about Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God manifested three persons. The, the miracle and the mystery of the Trinity. Now, I could try to explain it to you. Theologians have tried to explain the mystery of the Trinity, and you know what? It just really falls short. We have to be careful that we don't categorize God into what's called modalism. Did you ever think you would hear a sermon on modalism today? Modalism means that we categorize God into different functions, and we silo him into those functions. And there was a council in, in 157 AD that said, that's not true. That's not true. I'm glad they settled that a long time ago. Aren't y'all? And some of y'all didn't know that, and you didn't need to know that. Your eyes just glazed over. Why is he telling us this? Because I want you to know that Jesus is God. And Jesus being God means he's God enough to rescue you and to know you and to change you. And perhaps more importantly, to forgive you. This week, Dan and I were working on the next series, Hope Restored. And the next series, it's six weeks long. And Dan, we we videoed six small group, uh, our group experiences for you that you can use. You can use with a group. You can use individually. It'll be on our website. You can take advantage of this extracurricular. And I've also been writing a a five-day-a-week devotional. The feedback I've got from you is you you have enjoyed the devotionals that we've been providing for you. Is that is that true? That's four of you. That's awesome. Did I mention I gave you a free Christmas CD? Okay, a little more gratitude would be grateful. But one of these weeks, I'm going to be talking about being restored from sexual sin. Now, for some of you, that's not an issue. But for many of you, it is. And as I wrote this personal devotion, and as we videotaped this, it it, it seemed the weight of the shame of sexual sin 
just grabbed my heart. The weight that so many people have carried. And Jesus is God enough to cleanse you from that. And to free you from that. And to give you hope in spite of that. Aren't you glad? He is the marvelous, majestic Savior. He is the God-man in flesh. Fully God and fully man. I can't, believe, I can't remember which theologian said it, so I'm just going to claim I said it. You know, you say something once, you quote it, you say something. Second time, you said, I've often heard. heard and the third time, you said, I've often said. <laughs> just so you know. Jesus was so much God while resting in the arms of his teenage mother, he could have spoke the worlds out of being. He was not watered down. He had set aside the robes of deity and chose to dwell in the incarnation of flesh. Why did John tell us these things? Why am I telling you these things? And there's three things I wrote down, and I think I want you to, to hold on to this. The first reason that John would say these things to us, and I think I would say the same, is to declare truth to you. I want you to know the truth. And this is the truth. John also wrote to bridge the gap between the Greeks and the Jews. You see, the Greeks believed that God was knowledge and, and the Jews believed that God was, was the, the rima or the revelation. And what John, Pastor John, as a good pastor would, he was finding common ground with his congregation because his congregation was made up of both Greeks and Jews. And when he talked about the logos of God and he talked about the rima of God, the word of God, the logos of God, the knowledge of God, the, the spirit of God, that he was bringing these two worlds together. Why does that matter to us? Because it's inclusive. Jesus wants you. He's not looking for a certain group of people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Every one of us have accessibility to the redemption offered by Jesus Christ. There is no one that's out of the reach of God's grace. Isn't that a good word? Now, I've only been living in Wimberley a week, and I've, I've got a chance to see some different people groups in Wimberley. I've got to see some people at hardware stores in Wimberley. I've discovered if you want to find out what Wimberley's like, Go to the hardware stores, go to, uh, to H-E-B. If you really want to take a deep dive into culture, go to Brookshire Brothers. <laughs> and there's some broken folks in this town. Did you know that? And Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. And God wants us to bridge, bridge the gap that says no matter who you are or what you've done or what you've become, you're welcome into his family. I love that, don't you? That means I'm included, and so are you. And all of this John was writing to allow us to see that God is the God of rescue. But John also talks about to us today about the whisper of light. Let me read for you in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
I'm sure when Pastor John was writing that phrase, he couldn't help but think of the prophet Isaiah, who said, the people in walk in darkness have seen a great light. And the, the word light was such a prevalent word in the Greek culture and in the Hebrew culture and in our culture today. You know, I'm moving from New Braunfels where it's not, it's not quite as dark as it is in Wimberley. I'm not talking about spiritually, y'all. New Braunfels ain't got nothing on us spiritually, okay? But just the darkness. And at our house last night, Tara and I pulled up after a wonderful Christmas party, and uh, it was dark. And I turned to Tara and I said, it's dark as the heart of sin here tonight. <laughs> and that's dark. And the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you often live a defeated life? Do you often look at the circumstances of this world and say there is literally no hope? People are going to spiral into depravity and you become depressed and negative? I guarantee you, if you watch enough of our news media, you will get there. You will get there. But the darkness will not overwhelm it because Christ has come. John also goes on to say, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, was it him? He was talking about John the Baptist, obviously. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and, and all that might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of, of the light. Why would Pastor John stop to say? Because some people had started worshiping the messenger instead of the Messiah. And I went, woo, that's a pitfall to preachers today. That we could start worshiping the personality of the pontificator instead of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, King Jesus. This morning in the prayer time, Jonathan prayed that the only person famous here at First Baptist Church, Wimberley, Texas, would be King Jesus. Would you agree with that? One of the keys to life is light. Do you know you cannot survive without light? Did you know that? You will literally die. The light of our sun gives us, gives us the greenery of our vegetation, gives us the greenery, gives our oxygen, and, and it's, light is paramount to, to life. I, I know living in Canada in the summertime was delightful. Both days of summer were delightful in Canada. Uh, but in the winter, it was dark. The, the sun really, in Canada, the sun does not rise in the east and set in the west. It just, just doesn't. It's different. In the wintertime, it rises in the southeast and eats across the side of the, the, the sky and it sets in the southwest. In the, in the summertime, the sun rises in the northeast and circles all the way around and sets in the northwest. And you have... Well, I, I, I know this in the, in the peak of the, the summer season in Canada, it's daylight at 4.30 and it's dark at 11 o'clock at night. I could literally leave the office at six o'clock in the afternoon and play 18 holes of golf before it got dark. Of course, you had to have lots of mosquito spray because mosquitoes love the summer in Canada. In fact, you would spray off on yourself. The mosquitoes would land on you, rub the off off, and then bite you. That's how much they, <laughs> they you were thinking, how in the world can a mosquito live? I know too much about mosquitoes. I'm not going to change that, but that, that, that concept is buzzing around in my head even now. 
But in the darkness, there is no life. And we need life. John would later write in John 14, 6, Jesus said this about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. There is no life apart from Christ. And life is the key concept in the revelation of truth. When the light shines, you find truth. You find truth. I cannot tell you how many times this week my wife has said to me, I need a flashlight. I cannot find anything. And we're replacing light bulbs and we're, we're working to try to bring light to our new house because light reveals truth. Light reveals where the sheets are hidden. Life reveals the shoes that we have forgotten about. Light reveals where the plunger is stored. Light is paramount to our lives. And what Jesus, what John was saying, that the truth of Jesus cannot be overcome by the powers of darkness. And so then I thought this, why is Jesus so controversial? When you start talking about Jesus in our secular society, in our society period, because all of our society is secular, um, why is he so controversial? Why do people become offended? I can talk about Hinduism and people aren't offended. I could talk about Islam and most people aren't offended. Some are, but not many. Uh, I could talk about Buddhism and I'm, I'm almost hip and cool when I do that. I could talk about Shintoism. I could talk about ancestor worship and nobody really seems to get their feathers ruffled. But when I talk about Jesus, people get kind of sideways. Are, are you with me on that? And especially in our news media, you, you hear Jesus and Jesus is so controversial. Do you know why? Because Jesus exposes our darkness. He shines light into our hearts. Buddha cannot change anyone. The multiplicity of gods of Hindus cannot change anyone. In fact, actually, Hinduism holds people captive to karma and trying to appease their many gods. Islam cannot rescue you because you never really measure up to the full level of devotion. But Jesus changes you. And because Jesus has the ability to illuminate our darkened hearts, he therefore becomes controversial. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, either Jesus is a madman from hell or he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's truly the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The most accurately documented event in ancient history was the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. More so documented than any of the rulers of Caesar or the pharaohs of Egypt. Jesus' claim shines darkness, shines light into the darkness. You see, Jesus spoke truth. He spoke truth about eternal life. He spoke truth about physical healing. He spoke truth about spiritual freedom. Can you imagine when Jesus encountered the woman at the well, how her heart was beating out of her when he said, yeah, you, you don't have a husband. The man you're living with is not your husband. You actually, you've had five husbands. Can you imagine the weight of condemnation she felt? 
But instead of feeling the condemnation of Jesus, she felt the grace of Jesus and she became an evangelist for Jesus. Could you imagine the shame of the woman caught in adultery? And they brought her before Jesus. John wrote about all these women. And everyone gathered around to stone her because of her adultery. And the Bible says Jesus knelt down on the ground and he wrote. So many people try to guess what he wrote. I think it's Max Licato said that he probably wrote the names of the women the Pharisees were having affairs with. And then he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He speaks truth about being forgiven. He speaks truth about transformed living. I don't have to live as a slave to sin anymore. I can live as a son of the Most High God. And John the Baptist was one chosen by God to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And I love that. The word witness is used 14 times as a noun in the book of John and 33 times as a verb in the book of John. And can I get a witness? That's you. You see, John the Baptist serves an example to us that when we know truth, we should not be silent about truth. Later, Paul would write, whatever man's like, I try to find common ground with him so I may tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Very interesting conversation yesterday at the end of a very chaotic day. Um, went to pay a deposit for this snake we had to rent. Steve and I had to rent in order. I act like I had a part of it. I just stood in the rain, watched Steve work. I'm a preacher. That's what we do. And we had to pay a $3 deposit and I had a dollar and he had a dollar. So we had to take up an offering there in the hardware store. <laughs> and a young man stepped up and he, he gave it and we went back and I went to return the piece. I said, man, I cannot thank you enough. And he said, well, preacher, you're out spreading a good word. It's just the least I could do was help a little bit. That's what it's about y'all. Just to bring a witness to declare what God has done. You are not any better than anybody else. All you are is saved. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? I grew up in a family because they were Southern aristocracy. They thought they were better than everybody else. And the only thing that made them different was they were saved. Heaven forbid we act any other way. When I wrote down these stats about witness used 14 times as a noun and 33 times as a verb, I, I came to believe that Jesus, he's a big deal. And he wants me to contagiously share his love through word and deed. It's the whisper of a changed life, John goes on to say. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. In fact, in one of the original texts, it says the world did not recognize him. 
which is probably a better uh, etymological phrase there that it did not recognize him. But this translation said the world did not know him. Uh, the word there is gnosos, which means an intimate knowledge of. And he came to his own, that's the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. Why did they not receive Jesus? What was wrong with them? He fulfilled 300 prophecies about himself. They were watching the Messiah, the Messianic promise, being fulfilled before their eyes. Why didn't they recognize him? Why didn't they know him? Because he would require them to change and to leave their narrow-minded elitism and entitlement and legalism. That is very convicting to me. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, and that literally means the authority, the right, the authority, to become children of God, who are born, get this, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> born of God. This is the power to change everyone. The world has no power to change anyone. None. We do not need to turn over a new leaf. We need to surrender our life to the one who gives life. It's the authority, the right, the privilege to become who God wants us to be. And it's born by the will of God. In other words, God can make you new. God can make you new. He can make us new. He can make your relationships new. Make your parenting new. He can make your finances new. I wrote a devotional for you guys for the end of, end of year, and it's on stewardship. It's on giving. Why did I write this? Because I wanted to flee some money out of you at the end of the year? No. I'll tell you something. I'm not interested in your money. When we look at the financial situation, I never wring my hands because I know God is the God who provides. I know that. When we were planning a church in Tallahassee, we ran out of money four times. Out of money. And every time, God would step in. I remember we, I, I, our financial person, which was a volunteer, walked in. He said, we're $22,000 in the hole. Went, what? He said, yep, just paid all the bills. We're 22,000. I said, why'd you pay all the bills? <laughs> and in two days, the Lord brought in $52,000. Two days. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Folks, as a church, we should never ask, how much does it cost? We need to ask, what will it do for King Jesus? That wasn't in my notes. I just threw that in for y'all's benefit. Born by the will of God. Here's perhaps the last thing I want to say to you, and it is. 
It's the whisper of revelation. The whisper of revelation. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love this passage. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. I hear people say that they like the God of the New Testament better than they do the God of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament seems mad. And you know what I think? I don't ever say it out loud. I think you are so ignorant because God is God and he's been full of grace and truth all along. It's just that we needed to see Jesus to understand it. We need to witness a sacrifice on a bloodstained cross to get it. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one of whom I said, and he comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. When John said that, everyone knew that John was actually six months older than Jesus. So he's talking about the, the pre, uh, pre-existence of Christ, the eternal existence uh, of Jesus. I love this, and this is how we're going to end. From, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace that is greater than all my sins. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and the law reveals to us just how messed up we are. Grace and truth came through Jesus, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known to us. We have seen him. We have seen him. Literally, Jesus pitched his tent among us. When John said these things, to the Jewish people, their mind raced back to the Exodus. When Moses built a tabernacle, and this tabernacle showed the indwelling of God with his people, and they would put, put up the tabernacle, and then the whole tribe of Israel would circle around the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was in the center of their community. And they would watch Moses go in, and they would watch God come in, and they knew that God dwelt among them. In fact, the Bible says when Moses would go into the tabernacle, people would come and stand outside their tents and watch what was going on. God had chose to dwell among his people in the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. When Solomon built the temple, they, they, they watched the, the Shekinah glory fill the temple and they knew that God was no longer dwelling in a tabernacle, but he was dwelling in a temple. But you cannot contain God to a building. But you can contain God to a baby. And a baby changed everything. And they didn't even know it. <coughs> but some did. And now you are made aware that Jesus is God dwelling in us. And now the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is not in the temple in Jerusalem, nor a tent in the wilderness, but the heart of those who believe. I am the dwelling place of God. You are the dwelling place of God. The church is, not this building, the church is the dwelling place of God. You see, God revealed his glory to us because he came near to us. The ancient Greeks, they told stories of how their gods would visit them from time to time. And usually their gods were up to no good. 
And so when, when John talked to the Greeks about this, it wasn't some kind of foreign concept, but then realized that their gods were often up to no good, but this God was up to salvation. And they responded in droves. From his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And I, I saw that and I looked at that and I studied that phrase. And, and then I wrote some things down I want you to, to hold on to that we've received grace upon grace. And this is what Jesus has done. He's given us new wine. What does that mean? A new freshness, a new anointing of the spirit. He's given us new birth. We're no longer who we once were. He's given us a new rest. Remember the legalism of the Sabbath? When you had to obey 2,000 laws, Jesus has given you a new rest. Rest from your weariness, not some rest that's pushed upon you by legalism, but rest that's pushed upon you or given to you by grace and truth and freedom. Mm. Tara and I ask the same question of each other every morning. How did you sleep? How did you sleep? And why do we ask that question of each other? Because rest is important to one another. Usually she says, you were noisy. <laughs> How do we sleep? Do you find rest in the Lord? Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and petition make your request be known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will inhabit your heart and your mind as you trust in him. How are you resting? Oh, rest of the Lord, wait patiently for him and he will sustain you. How are you resting? Jesus gives us new rest. Gives, Jesus gives us new manna. The manna that came down to the wilderness was what's called the food of the angels. And Jesus says, this is my body, which has been given to you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The new indwelling of new manna. He's giving us living water. Drink this water and you'll not thirst again. Jesus said this to this woman at the well at Sychar. And I know Jesus was quoting Isaiah when Isaiah said, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come and find refreshment. There's refreshment of the cooling, living waters of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He gives us a new family. Family that's not shared our genetics but family that shares our hearts through the blood of Christ. My sister called me two weeks ago, and she says, I'm coming to see you for Christmas. So Judy's going to come. Now, Judy is more extroverted than I am. So she will know everybody in Wimberley on her short stay. And she's bringing her husband, Ron. I think my brother, Stan, is also going to come. Um, Stan, it will be your favorite Weatherford. He is a Bible scholar. Uh, he's Dr. Stan Weatherford. And he's, he's awesome. He's going to come back in the summer and do a, a, what we're going to call a summer soak Bible study for you. How's that sound? Yeah, so uh, we'll bring you back when it's hot. And we'll put him in Cypress Creek and cool him off. But they're coming. Stan said to me one day, you know, Scott, because of Jesus, we're closer to Christ than we're closer to them. We're closer in genetics. I want you to look around this room for a second. Look around. Just look around. This is your family. 
How you treat your family? We said, well, I don't know that. Well, you get to know them. Go introduce yourself. Hey, cuz. He gives us a new family. Some of y'all want a new family, don't you? Because the family you were born into, whoo, had a mess. He gives us a new family. But he also gives me a new life that will last forever. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. He gives me life, a new life. And the law has been trumped by grace. And religion has been replaced with relationship. And Jesus has made God known, made God known to me and to you. Jesus' life was the whisper on display. He spoke and broken bodies were healed. The dead was raised and sins were forgiven. He loved and he taught us how to love. He whispered about peace and comfort and relationship with God that was broken in the garden of sin so long ago. But the whisper went silent. The whisper was nailed to a cross. And the whisper lay in the grave. But the grave was shattered by the shout of God. Jesus Christ rose in glorious display and it shook the ancient world and the world still shakes from that resurrection. And because Jesus died to pay for our sins, that the whispers turned into a shout and it cannot be silenced. And from the empty tomb, God declares that you are forgiven. You no longer have to fear death and you can know and be known by God himself. And through the years, many have heard and respond. Because Jesus was resurrected, because Jesus came in flesh, because of Christmas, that we hear words of peace and words of comfort. Kindness has been expressed and good has been done in the name of Christ. Slaves have been set free. Children have found homes. The broken and reviled have become the accepted and the loved. The homeless and the ones without heart have found their hearts full because of Jesus. And he speaks today. Christmas is the season where we tune our, our, our ears to hear of peace and comfort and to speak words of compassion that, that, that motivate acts of kindness. God has come to rescue. We're captured by him. My grandfather, he loved his dogs. Oftentimes, Mr. Fox would run off, or worse yet, those high-dollar pedigree Tennessee walkers would confuse a deer with a fox. And they would run way off and get lost. Couldn't find their way home. But on their collars, their names were written. 
and my grandfather's name was written. Small town, kind of like Wimberley. Everybody knew Robert Murray Causey, and they knew his dogs. And they'd call him, and he'd go fetch them. I remember riding with my grandfather to go fetch a wayward hound. And literally, if a dog could be filled with joy, I saw dogs filled with joy when my grandfather pulled up. Without hesitation, they were leaping into the back of his truck, tails wagging, tons flapping, ready to go home. You know, it sounds a lot like God to me. I'm not a hound, but I'm a man. I don't have a pedigree, but I've got a great God who loves me. And my name has been written on the palms of his hand, says in Isaiah. And his name has been written on my heart because of Christ. And God's one who's looking for me. And he pursues me. And he loves me. And he won't give up on me. Nor will he give up on you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, why not? Why not? Will I have intellectual difficulties? Really? You're going to argue with the most accurate event in ancient history? Well, here's the truth. Well, if I come to Jesus, I'll have to change. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you will. But he does it for you was a dwelling spirit. Well, if we come to Jesus, what will people say? People in this room will say, hallelujah. Or amen. Because the angels will celebrate along with the family that another brother or sister has been born. Now, for those of you who know Christ, are you living for him? Are you being a witness for him? 14 times is a noun, 33 times is a verb. Are you sharing the good news of Jesus? There's no better time than Christmas to tell people about the Savior. And together, let's live all for Jesus. Merry Christmas, y'all.